And we're live. It took a little bit longer than normal this time. It's a guessing game to see how long StreamYard is going to take to kick in. Your guess <laughs> is as good as mine. Yeah, but anyway, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Keith Hedger, uh, introduce himself to our listeners and viewers. Hi, everybody. I'm Keith Hedger. I'm a military sci-fi cyberpunk author. I currently live in Pella, Pella, Iowa. I moved up here in June of 2020 from Columbus, Georgia, which should be familiar to anybody who's been to General Benning School for Wayward Boys. Um, Been there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i um, i've been there but never as a soldier <laughs> i've been there as a soldier and a civilian and as an employee of an of, of a law enforcement agency no i was just one of the reasons why boys were wayward uh fair <laughs> i was i was a young college 20 something uh, yeah <laughs> i actually when i was there we got to meet those law enforcement agents which was really fun because the company they next are, to they ours were just arresting you they were- mm-hmm. no no so the company i was in bravo when i went through uh the company that was next to us alpha had had a whole platoon decide to go a wall together just oh bonding before they well, it was I think it was a squad. It was there was enough of them that it made the local news. But they all decided to desert together. But in the spirit of teamwork, they went to the local bar together, uh, you know, sticking out with their BCGs and their bald heads to have a drink before they hit the road. And of course, they I got guess. they got caught. Naturally, <laughs> that seems like a story that's happened more than once at Benning. So. We we got instructed by our drill sergeants to sneak over at night and then we painted a jail frame around their mascot so it looked like their mascot was in jail and then the army and because they're kind of like that they sent them to do whatever they got for their punishment and then made them go back to boot camp they didn't let them go home yeah you're not out you're just going to do the punishment and then come back here (laughs) They, they tell you from day one once you start i mean because they'll mess with you sometimes the quickest way out is through Yep. Which is a brilliant lesson for an infantryman on breaking contact with an ambush, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's good tips. <laughs> so I, I didn't have that problem, but I just, it, it still always amuses me when you said the cops. I'm like, they were kind of nice when they weren't there for you. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> fun. <laughs> They're a lot of fun when you work with a federal law enforcement agency. <laughs> so the, uh, the next part of this introduction, dear listeners, how we met them, uh, I was going to say, that um, he reached out to us uh, and we were glad that he did, but apparently we're Facebook friends. So I've known him longer and I'm just bad with names. I blame Seska. <laughs> it's her fault. I don't know how yet. You give me a week, I'll make it her fault, but let's just go with it's her fault. I'm reading my glass. Whiskey and bad decisions. <laughs> that sounds legit. That sounds about right. All right. <laughs> Doc, you get to ask your, your most favorite questions, the ones you helped create for the podcast. The religion question. Oh, I, I I thought you were meaning the other ones. So, <laughs> well, you, you the ones that you get to ask were most of the ones you thought were important <laughs> enough to ask. So, you know, I tend to try to give those questions to you because you get real passionate about it, and you threaten to stab me when I don't assign them to you. So, I don't threaten I don't to stab you. I promise. Threatening implies that there's a possibility that I won't do it. Yeah. It's only, it's only it's a threat if you want there's some chance it won't happen. Exactly. <laughs> I, I give you a mapped out course of action. This is what will happen. Except that. 
See? Okay, got it. Do I need to call his cop friends? I mean, do we need to settle this? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. See, that's the beautiful thing. I'm giving you a mapped out course of action, but they can't do anything until afterwards. <laughs> He can always call for protective custody. I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> I'd never live that one down. Mm -hmm. No, you wouldn't. No. no Your mother would, would make badly. fun of you forever. She yeah. would. My mom likes her better. It's not fair. Oh, it's okay. wow. <laughs> it's okay. My mom likes you better. So That's okay. My mom has threatened, has offered to edit my story so she can take all the bad words out. So. My mom won't read anything I write. Ooh. Wow. You got mom's read too. everything. She's just like, you, yeah, I need to take all the bad words out of this. You do know that's not how the military works, right, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> that's not how these mercenaries operate, Mom. They say things like that. <laughs> yeah. That, that must be an awkward moment to have. But, that you know. Is, well, I want to support you. You could do that just by saying good job. I'd <laughs> be fine. Just buy so the copies and give them to people. Yeah, as long as she's not fine. like your... You're not writing sex scenes that she then reads and tries to edit. You're good. No, nothing on. I, I actually don't do sex scenes on screen. At least are so no far scenes. it hasn't happened. <laughs> I'm just telling you, if your mom is reading it, it can get awkward. I'm just going to leave her right yeah. there. Yeah, I really don't understand how that works for romance authors where they're just like, yes, I wrote sex. I wrote the steamy eroticus book and my mom is a fan. And it's like, I don't want to know. <laughs> I wrote um, one in my very first novella. We have a panel I, that has covered that at Dragon Con. It's called Boinking <laughs> Beasties. I, I've, I've been to enough panels story. at Dragon Con to go, yeah, I can believe that one. <laughs> Don't know how I, I missed that one. <laughs> I've said this before, so I'll keep it short. But the very first time I wrote a um, scene where the naughty bits happened to create that this guy has kids later, I tried not to belabor it. I didn't want it to be the erotica. <laughs> so I was trying to get you know get in, get out kind of thing, bam, metaphor bam, intended. Thank you, ma'am. Exactly. My mom sent yep. it back says, I don't know what you and your wife are doing, but you need to practice and then rewrite this scene. <laughs> and that's how I knew I could never write it again because I'm just, nope, no more. I'm never out. again. I'm out. I am out. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yep. That, that whole line of fiction is off for me. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so on to religion, Star Wars, Star Trek or Firefly? Well, since there's a Death Star ice cube in my drink, I'm going to have to go with Star Wars. Do you think Good that makes you kind of biased? Well, yeah. I, I haven't found a Firefly class ice cube make mold yet, so. I'm sure somebody out there can make one. And then somebody send you somewhere the has them. Somebody you know, they somewhere actually could probably 3D print that. something like that. How yep. are they going to 3D print an ice cube? No, an ice cube tray. Yeah. 3D or injection mold it. I work with people who do that kind of thing, so I could talk to them. <laughs> the question yeah. is, is would the tray be able to handle the, the cold, extreme cold temperatures to make it ice? Doc, yeah. get on the chemistry for us and make this happen. That's more like engineering and thermodynamics. I don't deal with that. It's all I science. just make I mean, things go just, fireball. Just just wave your hand. Well, fireball is the opposite of ice, Doc. I don't know if you I know now want to know, Doc, I now want to know what you do for a living. And how do I get a job like that? <laughs> I miss explodey stuff sometimes. <laughs> Analytical chemist. Yes. That'll do it, yeah. <laughs> so any any carbon thing that you put on with acid and enough heat, it will spontaneously combust eventually. 
sooner well, or later. Really spontaneous if you're intentionally putting the heat on it. I'm just putting that out. Well, there. I'm not trying to set it on fire. Okay. All right. So we got the first religion question. He gets to get through the second one to see if he survives. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time? Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones, and we're all still waiting for the last book, and I don't think it'll ever show up. I know when it's going to show up. When they hire Sanderson to write it? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be after Martin is dead. <laughs> yeah, somebody else is going to have to I think at this one. point, he just likes the attention. I, as, much, as much as people have yelled at him about it... He's not going there for the hunting. <laughs> I think at this point, he's just like, I'm just going to publish it after I'm dead. And then I don't have to hear people bitch about the ending. Exactly. Well, at least he knows what I ending mean, he's not to rather do. ingenious. Yeah, he's real clear on what not to do for an ending. I mean, yeah, they already beta tested that. Yep. <laughs> and the Wheel of Time, I probably got an unfair shake. But the first one I tried to read, I had just done a road march. And the first chunk of that book was basically every step of a road march. And I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm out. No. He has a certain style that I don't know modern writers would use. It's very. Yeah. That, it's I don't need that much detail. A description, but not yep. with the flowery prose that you get from Tolkien. Because at least, yeah. you know, when he describes every blade of grass, Tolkien made it sound pretty. Yeah. That's because yeah. I think Tolkien's world was pretty. Well, I'm Fair. yeah. Yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> but all right. So we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast, like both the fantastical and the scientific, you don't eat pencil stock, it's bad for your health. Um, but Not which was your it. which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Science fiction. So what was your first memory of engaging in science fiction? Probably watching Marvel and DC superhero cartoons as a very young kid, and then Star Wars at a drive in theater in Burlington, Iowa. Not Transformers, not, not Transformers. I'm older than that. You don't look old enough to be drive through movie or drive in movie theater old. I am, I was, I'm 52, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then you fooled me, but thank you. <laughs> But I didn't even think 52. Like, uh, you think 70s when you think, like, someone in their yeah. 70s would be the drive in movie theater age. No, I was like six. We, my dad even enjoyed Star Wars. So it was like, cool. <laughs> I just, I thought the drive through, the drive in movies had been dying out before that. No, they were still around. And we actually have one over in a town called Newton, Iowa, not far from here. I hear they made a comeback. They're starting to make kind of a comeback. That's neat. But yeah. So, how was the uh, audio since you had to put the little thing in your car and listen to a speaker way? in the car window? Yeah, it was actually pretty good. It actually worked out well. And nowadays, you could get away with just a radio channel to, to pick yeah. it up. That's how uh, they do it now, is my understanding. Oh, okay. I'm, I, I, we've been trying to get over to the one in Newton, just haven't made it yet. I'd almost want to do that just so I could say I did. I don't even care what the movie is at this point. See, we had a water park who did um, like waves in the pool, what you'd watch mm -hmm. movies. In the mm -hmm. wave pool. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that would be fun. That was Yeah, fun. the library system down in Columbus, Georgia would do movie nights. And it was usually, you know, kids' movies, Moana, something like that. But put up a yeah. big screen and just have everybody out on the lawn. <laughs> no, we did so that they're... at an MWR event for one one back when I was in there in that unit at Fort Bliss. Mm -hmm. so there was one very enterprising FRG. They made freaking bank. <laughs> they came out with snacks and were grilling. 
Oh. And then they sold it to all the soldiers. Oh, yeah. Nobody's saying no they to made, that. They made bank and they were like, is this okay? And I'm like, yes, as long as I can have some. <laughs> yeah, that's Keep cooking. <laughs> yeah. I have so, not I said mean, no yet. No. <laughs> that was one so, of the best movie, best uh, evenings of watching movies. On the parade yeah. field. So fun. So what is it about the speculative fiction genre that includes both the sci-fi and the fantasy and all the other umbrella genres that you love? You can kind of take some of the rules off and just see what would happen. Um, one of the examples from my stuff is there was a scene in Easy Jobs where two of the characters are going to rappel down a tall building. And it was, they're cybered up. And it started with, I could get with people and find out how specifically you'd have to do this because they don't have enough, you know, monofilament line on one reel to actually make it all the way. So how would they, how would you deal with that? Blah, blah, blah. And then I went, this character has titanium bone lacing. I'm just going to roll with it and see how it goes. And you can kind of, okay, let's just see what they do and see what shows up on the page. And what are the differences? My character, a lot of my characters have cybernetic implants, so they can see in multiple spectrums. You know, two of my characters are constantly texting each other in fight while in firefights and stuff. So That's yeah, a, you can, yeah. <laughs> so how do you have that? Uh, I'm just going to divert a little bit, Doc. I'm interrupting sure. you. Um, but so how do you handle that? Like I've seen, I don't know if you've read BB Larson, where they've got the actual they call it the tapper, which is embedded, and then it yep. sort of has a hollow screen, and it's basically an iPad. How do you yeah. handle that in your universe? You've got me curious. In my characters, they have an implant. In, in most of the character, most characters have an implanted, basically cell phone, uh, cyber implant. And if you've got cyber eyes, it just projects any tech stuff up into your visual field. Similar to yeah. they, they got the classic smart gun links where the gun camera feeds them targeting data wherever they're pointing their weapon to, and it puts it up on a display in their field, kind of integrating that kind of technology together. So. So, yes, Burn and Bad Karma will text each other constantly <laughs> because so, that's what they do. If you could get that kind of technology put in your body, would you risk it? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've read enough where that goes wrong because it gets hacked <laughs> and they turn you into zombies. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What about you, Doc? Would you, would you risk it for the biscuit? No. <laughs> I don't want to be reachable by my phone all the time. Ooh, this is true. You can be tracked that way, too. Well, I love to disappear like up to North Carolina and just lose. Well, I legitimately lose my phone because I don't carry it with me everywhere up there. I do oh, that now, and I'm not in North Carolina in the mountains. Yeah. Well, you've just brain damaged. And even when it's not that, I use that as the perfect get out of jail free card. You know, I'd like, I'm sorry, TBI. I just, you know, it just happens sometimes. Some days I forget to plug in my phone. Wait, I just submitted that out loud. Dang it. Dude, you'll Doc, have to edit you, that out. We'll edit this out. We'll edit this out. He's not going to edit yeah. it out. He's going to forget, and I'm going to leave it standing. <laughs> Speaking of leave it standing, Doc, the next question is yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how did your love of the speculative fiction genre transition into you writing stories in it? Honestly, I've been reading science fiction fantasy since I was star Wars started me off and I got really in, into that. And then around high school, I started going, 
like to figure out this whole story thing. So I wrote some stuff that is definitely, I'm, I'm so, so glad it's probably dead now. <laughs> no you one say that and now that. your mom is going to be like digging it out. and be like, Oh, no, I hope not. I, just, I still have it. Here. Let Yo, me she can it. edit it for you. <laughs> that one wouldn't be so bad. I didn't use nearly as many F-bombs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, no, it's like I got started on it and then played around with it for years. And then I guess five, six years ago, I finally went, okay, I've got burning and crying in my head. Let's write a story and just kind of, I wrote a, it's a no easy jobs was a novella. It was kind of get a feel for these characters, see what happens, get a feel for the setting. And I showed it to a couple of friends and they're like, this is good. Get it out. And I indie indie was just getting popular at the time, so I went ahead and did it. Didn't know what I was, didn't know anything else about what I was doing, but I had a book out. And then I ended up going back and writing book one, which is Moving Target. After that, because we need to find out where bad karma comes from, because she's kind of odd. Like Edward okay. and Cowboy Bebop odd. Not quite that bad, but she has. By the time of Moving Target, she has six months of memory. Yeah. Okay, so more like a. I hand wave you. Ghost in the shell odd. Okay. Yeah, kind of like that, and somebody intentionally wiped her memory trying to make a better killer, and didn't think out the your better killer might not like this whole process and decide to do something about it. You know, people do get pesky when you start messing with the internals <laughs> of their head. And you keep upgrading her. Not your best I move. Mean, Jr., you should know about that, except for the upgrade part. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're fired. <laughs> you want a job, Keith? I'm I could sure. Use I need one more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an IT guy. I can be a podcast host. Why not? What, what's one more? And do you get fired once an episode, Doc? <laughs> you kept track? No, I don't. I, I get fired more than that. I, I listen to what a lot. But it never sticks. aim is horrible. I'm one of your hundreds. I'm one of your listeners. And I've listened to him do that a lot. <laughs> it's like, geez, JR. She just keeps taking the money anyway and not leaving. I don't know. That's, it's like my stable. Jay, I just see that's my stable. JR's aim really sucks. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. You just ignored that's my stable joke. Guy. I set that office, that office joke up. Just. All right. Move on, Doc. <laughs> so. You know, many of real life experiences influence the stories you tell, but were there any specific moments that were very formidable into what you tell or why you tell it the way you do? Some of it's just processing things. I, I mean, I have an idea. I roll with it. Um, I'm Stuff I'm working on. Uh, stuff I'm working on now, which are later stories in the series. There's a point where bad karma kind of has PTSD. She makes the right tactical decision, but somebody else gets hurt because she made the right tactical decision. And she's kind of having a moment about that. That so, is sometimes the hard choice. Yeah, it's one of those, this this person is going to shoot me. They're, that person is going to shoot them. Okay, <laughs> save me first, then I can do something. But afterwards, it's, uh, <laughs> so bad karma is going through, going to go through a growth cycle later. That's a terrifying concept. <laughs> okay. Because her kind of flaw is she will always make the right tactical decision. 
because they went to build a better killer and they were very successful at it. That's sort of like you go to a job interview and they're like, tell me about your flaw. I just care too much. much. <laughs> this is one time where it might actually be true is what you're saying. Where she's yeah, this is a, yeah, she's just that good. And it's like she didn't think she just reacted. <laughs> oh, Doc. <laughs> so, Doc, I'm, that's that's yes. harsh, Doc. That Do we is. want to share that with the audience? I'm, uh, I don't know how we process that. I, Do you need a moment? I've been having a moment about it. So, apparently, for those who are wondering what just popped up in the chat, JR accused me of owning who I am, and I went, I have to, because I just found out my coworker is so young that Babylon 5 is older than him and not just older than him older than his older brother too ow <laughs> my bones ache just thinking about how old i am now get off her lawn <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah that's where i'm at in the it field is like everybody i'm working with is like 10 20 years younger than me and is just like you're all kids <laughs> yeah i made the joke that pepperidge farm remembers today out in public when I was, you know, running into someone I run into all the time, and they didn't get the reference, and I'm like, "Ooh, yeah." Ouch. I'm just like, I'm like, people get Google, and I, I just, I'm like, just Google it. Yeah, I was. I, I thought that was iconic. Uh, I was okay with uh, moving away from Georgia and Fort Benning one day when I was driving on Fort Benning, and I saw this guy, and he had captain's rank on. I swear he had to be in middle school, and I'm like, that's not. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. I've gotten too old for this. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had a platoon sergeant. Who uh, who told me that if the army changes the uniform on you on the third uniform shift, it's time for you to retire. You've been in too long. <laughs> in my eight years in, they changed the uniform like four or five times. So Ouch. I guess it was just it was just meant to be that I got hurt and got out because yeah, it was time to go. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna change so, the uniform again. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm just I can't keep up with this. To my wallet. Um, so speaking of military. Uh, you, we've talked about already, but you served in the U.S. Army. So we ask all of our authors who are also veterans this question. How do you feel like your time in uniform affects the stories you tell? It's a lot of little things, really, because like, OK, I, I don't get super detailed about the various firearms because I write action. And it's there, there's going to be a lot of shooty stuff going on and exploding stuff and grenades <laughs> but I don't get super detailed about how many rounds has this character fired before they change <laughs> magazines, but I know when the magazine change happens. I know what that feel is. Um, I know what the thinking is. I used to shoot IDPA, IDPA competitive, competitive stuff. And it's one of those, yeah, you, you get to that point where it's just like, it's, Oh, you just know it's time <laughs> next round. And I'm clean. I'm clearing the magazine and I'm putting a new one in go. So a lot of that feeds into that in little ways. Um, the weight of the equipment you're carrying, because even with all the tech they've got, and even with a character who's like, I got titanium bone lacing. Um, she's still going to wear body armor because big enough round will go straight through. <laughs> His bones don't cover everything. No. no so in a but I mean, they did a, a study that showed that um, the average weight of what a soldier carries Despite Never the fact that the gear it. list is so different, is it has not changed since the Roman Empire. No, it's about the same. It's ridiculous. Well, so because everything they lighten or take away, they find something else to replace it with. Exactly. 
So real quick before we continue the military questions, since you are a competitive shooter, could you beat Larry Korea in a shootoff? Oh God, no! I've just seen I've just seen him do some videos he posted over on Facebook from a class he was taking. It was like, no, 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 he's way out of my league because I haven't done anything in years. So you're supposed to say yes just for the challenge, so you get an excuse to play with his toys. That would be fair. <laughs> that would have been a much smarter answer, but no, nah, that for, sure for I that can take it. Larry, it's on. See, this is why Southern fans are great because I go to a convention that has a shoot that normally happens right in conjunction with it. Yep. Liter Liberty con. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I follow the same people. <laughs> they always talk about it. I know it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be oh. a crazy one. It will be a wild year this year. I love that Liberty con just sells out like in hours. <laughs> it's, yes. it's good until you try to attend and it's like, Nope, you were five seconds too late. Yep. <laughs> Which well, is five you know, seconds after what, they opened it. <laughs> that's yeah. why I volunteer. <laughs> I get to buy. I get to spend my money first. <laughs> Fair. All right. So, you were in the army. So, what did you do in the army? I was an engineer first, road construction guy, which meant I got to go do all the combat engineer stuff and build roads. And then we got to do things like, oh, we need engineers to come over to Brown Demo to help teach infantry people what C four does. <laughs> Angry silly putty. He likes. It, well, what what is it? Silly putty indicates the presence of ser the existence of serious, serious putty. C four is serious putty, <laughs> <laughs> and C four is fun. <laughs> so, did you do uh, you do a combat engineering your whole time? Uh, it was, I, no, I reclassed into radio electronics and then got put into a computer shop, and then I deployed with a unit that hadn't deployed since nineteen fifty three to go to Hungary to support Bosnia. I, <laughs> They weren't going to let me not go places. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. You know, so the recruiter tells you, you join the army, you see the world and meet new and exotic people. They don't tell you that the people they want to send you to meet generally don't like you and don't want you there. And none of the places they send you are just vacation destinations. I thought that was kind of understood, JR. Well, it's. I like the recruiting post, you're right. It sounded good. My recruiter no. made promises. Let's see. My favorite recruiting for a poster was the Norwich recruiting poster. Oh, I don't remember what that one looks like. Oh, in the early 2000s, it was two female cadets. And on the bottom of it, it said, what's this about a few good men? Oh, that's actually classy. Damn. I like it. <laughs> oh, fired. oh yeah. no. my grandmother had a collection of them. I was When I was in high school, she sent them to me. They um, That was one of the schools I applied to back in the day. But anyway, so when you write your, your you know, with your military experience, do you ever write uh, either... Um, Obviously, or, you know, covertly, do you write about people you knew when you were in the service? I pull aspects of people I was in the service with, and sometimes I do kind of recast a character, uh, uh, somebody I served with. Not a a lot more, more often than not. It's like, I need certain so-and-so's personality in a character who looks nothing like certain so-and-so, but I need that personality. There you go. Although I do have one guy who went from E7 to he's now a general. <laughs> As far I as I know, he was, as far as I know, he was never in the Rangers. But in my setting, he's in the Rangers. <laughs> and, hey, it works. Yeah, in my setting, the southern the U.S. blows into a civil war. The southern states end up run by a bunch of libertarians, and their first move is to consolidate the military so it makes sense in a business structure. And then they go, "What do we do with all the spec ops people? We just put them in the Ranger department and just pretend they don't exist." <laughs> Isn't that kind of what they do now? Pretty much. 
they just give Where's a lot of money Nick to when we can mock him. Voice. I, I really needed Nick here so we could go, what the hell did you do? <laughs> Unfortunately, the Border Patrol keeps him busy. They won't let him just not show up to work and get paid. I don't know what that's about. I, yeah. <laughs> They're weird like that. They have all these I told him if he wanted to get paid to do nothing, he had to run for Congress. Seems legit to me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've talked about how your time in the military affects the way you tell stories and the kind of people you write into stories. So let's flip the script a little bit. Does does having served in the military affect the way you engage with content as a consumer, be it a watcher of shows, reader of books, player of games? Somewhat. I have found one of the most interesting experiences any role-playing game, and D&D is really great for this. If you play it with a room full of veterans or a group full of veterans, the monsters have no chance. And no one will talk about it. There's no discussion of strategy or tactics. You just do. And suddenly the monsters are like wiped out. <laughs> and game masters are like, I have always wanted to go to a convention with a group of vets and just slip all of us into a table at a game. Not warn whoever's running. <laughs> just to watch the look on their face. That would be fun. You should go to Gary Con and do that. I did. Ooh, the first I time I DM'd, well, it was a game that had uh, a bunch of veterans. It was like all veterans, including Terry Shepard, which was kind of awesome first experience. <laughs> and I set up this scenario where it was like perfect, like tactics would have mattered. And Walt <laughs> and Terry were like, I see your tactics and I raise you acid rain. And then like the whole army, I spent hours planning dead in one round. I'm like, you sons of bi biscuit eaters. That's because yeah. being a DM is a fine balance between enough detail and not wasting your time. Yeah. I hadn't learned that one yet, <laughs> but yeah. it's just like, I expected like all kinds of tactical maneuvering and like, I, I factored all that into the planning and they're like, I'll just blow it all up from the sky. You, you forgot everybody involved is like, do we have a bigger hammer? Let's use the bigger hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. How big a hammer do we have here? Fireball? In. And I'm not, I, that was the one when I was still learning, like I'm still learning how the whole magic part of it. So it was, I just wasn't aware of what magic was capable of from higher level players. Work smarter, not harder, JR. Yeah. We did have a shadow run game. Everybody playing was a veteran though, but we, one of the shamans was a berserker type. They made <laughs> it to the first encounter and wiped the, the, the party wiped itself out. Oh dear. I, I could see Oh that. God. <laughs> it was horrifying. I'm like, I have never had that happen before. So, do you play on a regular basis? I haven't been able to in a few years, but we just moved and we're just starting to get connected up with some people. We're we've got a Pathfinder Two game we're running with some friends, and they're going to run some D and D five with a, for us when they get that set up. Nice. So we'll get back to doing some more gaming here here in the next few months over the next couple of months. What was your first uh, RPG? D and D. First edition AD and D. The family that slays together stays together. Stays together. Yep. And my wife is a gamer, so that helps. Oh, I like your wife already. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. So and she tolerates the whole I lock myself in the office and write stories thing. So so do you do the um, the tabletop minis to go with it, or just theater of the mind? No, 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 no. I, it's it's kind of the Warhammer forty k syndrome. I don't have time to paint minis. <laughs> And I definitely don't have the budget for that. Doc has all the minis. I think that's why you don't have time. She bought them all. I do. I do have a Wood Elf Army as well as a Sisters of Battle Army because nuns with guns, why not? 
Nuns with guns make sense. I'm just that saying. sounds like a, a can I steal them from my cyberpunk setting? <laughs> yeah, I won't stop you. Nuns with guns can be your catchphrase. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, so just keep the tentacles out of it, okay? We'll just keep oh the tentacles God. out of it. Oh, thanks, Jr. For going there. Okay, I, I that. there's a reason Jr. Screen is blank. Um, <laughs> so transitioning things from a, to a fan angle, have you had okay. any cool fan art or cosplay of one of your characters yet? Yeah, a friend of mine when she she was kind of first reading some of my early stuff, Easy Jobs and Moving Target, and she did the covers for those. Nice. And I was actually there for the shoot. The shoot for e the photo, the cover for Easy Jobs. That's a young lady named Holly Day. She's really that tattooed. And it was like 200 <laughs> photographs. The one where the candid, where she's just standing there holding a pistol, is the one that ends up on the cover. And it's candid like, shots, I think, really. Like you cannot underestimate how amazing a candid shot can be. Yeah. Uh, moving target, she kind of ran with that one, and I think I need to go back and maybe relook that cover because it, it it looks more medical thriller than it does. Or Jr. was saying that's kind of a zombie story, and I'm like, yeah, I can kind of see where you get that. Um, and this is more of a thriller, cyberpunk, mill sci-fi thriller where the a character named Breeze who eventually becomes Bad Karma. They, her crew took a job they shouldn't have, and then the cup, the group that hired them is wiping them out to bury what they did. Except they had a plan for her to see if they could make a better killer, and well, we went from there. You know, recycling is good, right? Mm. Yeah, reduce, reuse. What is it? Reduce, reuse, reuse. Um, Necromancy is your friend. <laughs> it worked so, for Captain America. <laughs> no, no, not Captain America. Captain Planet. Dang it, I yeah. got it wrong. Dude. <laughs> I, I'm just going to fire myself tonight. <laughs> yes. Hey, I'm good I'm good with me not getting fired, but now I'll have a job and I'll have to host this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave me with just Nick. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get Nick to show up. <laughs> I know. I know. We're All right, we'll move on before we say something incriminating. <laughs> <laughs> so has anyone asked you for your autograph yet? Yes, I have signed a lot of books, and that is one of those things that never gets less cool. So what was your first time? First time is when I put out, produced Easy Jobs, I ordered a bunch of copies for myself, and a bunch of my friends wanted them. So I'm sitting in a coffee shop. Well, it's, a, it's Iron Bank Coffee Shop. It's kind of a restaurant, and they got beer. And we a bunch of us were getting together there anyway, so I brought them along, and I was signing them for people as we're, as we're, as we're while we're doing this tri -club, triathlon club meeting we're having. And this guy looks at me and goes, wait, you wrote a book? Why are you still working? And I'm like, so, so not how that works, man. <laughs> I think I it's, just made more off of me than I am I have off this book. <laughs> it's called, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> oh, that is. Rowling is not the norm. <laughs> no. no. She is uh, that lightning struck once in a million. Yeah. Even Martin's on a different like they're, they're even yeah. then they're still kind of like this yeah and i don't think martin got there real quick i think his first couple of books it probably took a while before people started picking up yeah no some of his books like it took a while and and sometimes it's just you have to hit the right like mm -hmm. zygist at the right time i yeah. mean if we're comparing i'd rather larry korea buy a mountain kind of money 
Yeah, I would be okay with that. <laughs> no, no, I would not sneeze at it. What was it he said in uh, Writer Dojo this week? I, I own every gun in the movie Mor Morbius. <laughs> yeah. And I have I almost like the all the guns in... He's like, I own all the guns that are used in Monster Hunter. And it's like, dude, that's a lot of guns. And he's like, it's a tax write-off. And I started thinking, man, I'm not writing off nearly as much as I should be, apparently. That's apparently because I'm doing Larry this used wrong. to be an accountant. He knows how to do his taxes. I know. I'm like, I'm doing this wrong. Exactly. And if the IRS gets mad, I'm just like, hold, hold up. I heard this on Larry Korea's podcast. <laughs> I talked to my oh, accountant. I'm, I'm sure they will just examine you closer. <laughs> Pretty Probably. sure that's how that works. So, yeah. Um, All right, Doc, save us from ourselves. Please. Uh, there is no saving you from yourself, JR. I've been trying for years now. <laughs> so, what is the weirdest or funniest fan interaction you've had yet? A guy, a book sign. I did a book signing at Tulip Time at the Pella Book bookstore they have a small okay. bookstore here in town um pella's the most dutch town outside of holland you're ever going to find like we have windmills and stuff that's ten thousand people but if you're wondering where i live when you watch like discovery plus and see the home remodel shows when they cut mm -hmm. to commercial and it's that one with the big yellow seal okay windows and doors that corporation's headquarters is about two miles from my house oh wow yeah, Vermeer Heavy Industry, they do mining and agricultural equipment, is about three miles from my house in a town of 10,000 people. Yeah, so Pella's kind of different. So I, they do tulip time every year, order tons of tulips, plant it. They just do a whole thing about it. And the bookstore is like, hey, we're having author signing. So I go up and this guy walks up and he sees the board and it's Keith Hedger, author signing Keith Hedger's on the board. He walks up and goes, I'm the only one there. And he's like, so who are you? I'm Keith Hedger. So what do you do? Well, I write stories. And he looks at me and goes, I really should have got that one, shouldn't I? And I'm like, yeah, probably. So what's the 30-second pitch on this story? Let's start with moving target. Some uh, mercenary takes a job she shouldn't have and spends the rest of the book trying to figure out how to get out from under that. That and was ironically like, okay. one of our questions, so we're going to cover that. So, <laughs> Doc, yeah. I like that one. Yeah, there's also a there's also a swim in Lake Michigan in March, which I have tried to swim in the Atlantic in March, and I don't recommend it. Um, no, it was brutal. And I'm so sorry I did that to my character. Um, this one time I was like, oh, that was just wrong. <laughs> How bad is it? Go. In um, I made three. I was in a wetsuit, made three strokes, and realized. I couldn't breathe and my face was on fire. That bad. I've never like that That's was how cold it was. <laughs> I've lived in All right, that was Lake. my inner swim coach coming out. I honestly heard my swim coach from high school going, just move faster. There's no move faster when your face is on so, when water so cold that your face is on fire. Move faster isn't gonna happen. <laughs> so let's see. I lived in Great Lakes when I was a kid because my stepdad was stationed at the Naval Weapons Station or boot camp, whatever it is there. And yeah. so I don't really remember that snow. And then I've been to Fort Dix, New Jersey in the winter to do the desert warfare training. And I don't I went to Dix for basic. How did the hell did they do desert warfare training there? Because they were prepping everyone to go to Iraq and they had uh, opened all of the bases and they were just it was when the surge was happening. Uh, yeah, so there they was were just nobody really knew what the fuck they were doing. 
basically. And so we're wearing desert camis, desert weight, everything for summer weather. And we're laying around in the snow because, you know, train how you fight, except for their snow. <laughs> this is not training how we're going to fight. No. And then, of course, we get off the plane where it was like ankle deep snow into the middle of the desert. And it's just like, I, I don't know what anybody was thinking. So, you know, mm. that's that's how we got the Kuwaiti, the Kuwaiti crud when we landed in the Kuwaiti. See, I'm so means. glad you didn't say that I wasn't there because I would have said some obnoxious ass shit. <laughs> I don't do cold. I don't do snow. Well, I mean, I just made sergeant after being trying for family friendly guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, so like I, I just yeah. made sergeant after three tri three tries and striking out as a corporal, and I really <laughs> didn't want to lose it because you know I'd already been demoted twice. <laughs> I heard three strikes you're out in the army, so I was just being nice. I was doing the right thing. Uh, that's baseball, not the army, dear. Mm -hmm. Damn it! Why are you telling me that now? <laughs> because now's when you should have you should have learned it already. Well, anyway, See, I would have just looked at them and gone, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. This, but this is not good training for going to I, a I desert where it's like, hot. <laughs> parts made in America, but assembled into the desert. So. Yeah, so it was it was definitely an interesting experience doing desert warfare training when our canteens froze into solid blocks at night. Yeah, but I wouldn't have been would dumb be... enough to get into the water in that weather. Just saying. Yeah. I don't know. I was hoping Are you it'd be sure more. that you weren't dumb enough? I'm pretty sure if a pizza was involved, you would have. Or they bribed me with beer, or they just triple dog dare me. You're right. I probably would have in the right circumstances. Yeah. I've done JR, a lot of dumb stuff. JR, I've got a really good bottle of Cedar Ridge straight straight rye. Would that get Ooh. you to do it? I'd try it for that. I'm just saying. All right, let's 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 get together <laughs> offline. We might make that happen. But we'll uh, I, so you, you've talked about your uh your bad karma series. In the yep. books that are in that, and we're going to get into that later because that's why we invited you here. But you've written yeah. other things. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I have. I've written a story based on a character who's kind of a gray man. He just, people don't remember him. He's very good at just not being noticed. He's actually in the same universe, but, and that one started, I was walking through someplace and I was, a buddy of mine was a cop and I looked at him and said, I just, he's like, I just freeze in the, in the middle of walking. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just had an opening line for a story. And he said, what is it? It wasn't that he did or didn't like, the line was, it wasn't that he did or didn't like cops, but whoever had called these federales was definitely off his Christmas card list. And he's like, he looks at me and goes, I would read the shit out of that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to write that one. So I did. Um, so that was fun. And then Phoebe the Tank is kind of taking on a life of her own. Um, she started in Sandblaster because infamously Tony Weisskopf had posted on Facebook about her cat had knocked a bunch of stuff off of a pen, pen, pen board or something she had next to her desk. And yep. one of the notes was notes she picked up and she types it out is the note Jim Bain had sent to Keith Lommer that ends with, and I need a story about sentient tanks. And I'm like halfway through Sandblaster, and it starts with the Mexican, Holy Mexican Empire Special Forces Unit taking out a tank battalion. And I'm like, damn it. Cursed a whole lot. And finally went, yeah, I can go back and shoehorn in this, this now sentient tank and figure out how that works. So that's where Phoebe got born. And then Jason Cordova posts something about weird places you get got story ideas on Facebook, and I told the story of how Phoebe came to be. Tony happened to be reading Jason's page. Keith, contact me. 
You know Tony. <laughs> you don't argue with Tony. It's like, where do you want me to contact you? I know well, who your well, fans are. I'm one of them. <laughs> She's like, email me here. Okay, if you uh, okay, Tony, what's up? She goes, I want your story. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're not the only nice. one who had that idea. We're doing an anthology. I want that story. And I'm like, I cannot pull that out and make it coherent outside of this novel. How about if I write you something different with Phoebe? She's like, cool. And thus the story, my wife and another teacher she was working with, we were at dinner one day and we were talking about Phoebe the Tank. And they're like, well, what if she was trying to figure out dating? <laughs> so if you've read World Breakers, Amarillo by Firefight <laughs> is Phoebe catfishing an infantry guy while she's rolling through Amarillo, Texas in a tank fight. Okay, so they compare. I have, I have World Breakers, but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, that is as soon as I'm done with my current Jennifer Blackstream novel. Now. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> That's an so, excellent choice. Like when she's when she's comparing, yeah. you know, stories with male sentient tanks, are they like, I've got a bigger howitzer size or something? Like, how are they? Like, there what's are the no other tank? Okay, to my knowledge at this point, there are no other sentient tanks in the world. She's kind of an accident because the tank mechanic who survived in Sandblaster, he's kind of a terrible programmer. And he didn't have quite the right parts, but they worked. And some combination of bad code and not quite the right parts gave birth to something. I feel like that's how it like, gave birth to humanity. Probably. Right, I'm pretty sure we're an accident. <laughs> so we might have to have you back just to talk about that short story because we do short story content interviews because I love I love short fiction. Oh, so we, we might have to get together and make that happen. But yeah. while all of that obviously sounds fascinating, today we're going to talk about Moving Target, which is book one in the Burn mm -hmm. and Karma Cycle series, uh, since that's your, your current uh, yeah. standalone series. So how did you come up with the idea for this? <clears throat> Um, like I said, it, it started with I, Burn and Karma kind of offshoot characters from years ago playing various role playing games. And then it was like, OK, I have these two characters. Let's roll with it. It was a lot of fun. It was OK. It's going to be high on action. I'm not going to worry too much about how real it is, because much as I get annoyed with they flip the safety off the Glock, these characters have a smart gun link that just goes fire. <laughs> and it does. Um so, yeah, I, I kind of put some of that aside and, and put action and fun at the forefront and let burn and bad karma j just do their thing in most cases. And I feel like that would be the great name for a TV show. I like a bad, it, it'd be the wrongest cop show ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out a really good title for the series, but. Burn, burning karma or burning bad karma. We'll I like burning karma. I think it works. It's unique. When somebody yeah. says it, you're going to know exactly what you're talking about. It's like yeah. Honor Harrington. Everybody knows, knows what, what you're, you're talking getting. about when you say that. Yeah. Pausling, you know what you're getting from John Ringo. Yeah. So. Um, the world yeah. destroyed. Yeah, the world's going to get destroyed and eaten and bad, bad things are going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, it got there and it was, okay, so I'm going to do a cyberpunk setting. What are How am I going to make this stand out? Well, one, I'm going to nuke nine cities. And it kind of started a with the premise of, because at the time everyone was going, the U.S. isn't really the economic engine of the world. We're the economic turbine. And 
in a lot of ways, the U.S. kind of is. So what happens if the U.S. blows sideways? I found out I was wrong in 2016, <laughs> is what it is. But I've never written about that in the story, so I don't have to explain what caused the, caused the giant civil war that ended up with five countries that used to be the United States. But I knew six cities in Europe, including taking out Moscow while the entire government was in session. I think Moscow kind of deserves it right now. Sorry. Well, okay. I'm old enough that I spent my entire youth training to fight the Russians. And it's like, this is what they got. Seriously. Kill a commie for your mommy. I'm okay with it. And it's not like they're going to be able to fight back. God, they suck at this. Yeah. Oh, so. Say that loud? <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, we try to okay. stay political. Well, we are a really political com con yeah. uh, podcast. We definitely are a podcast hosted yeah. by vets. So um certain level of bias is expected. Got it. And I mean, so I, I, one of the things I wanted to do was make sure that of those nukes, it's like six are in Europe, three are in the U.S. And it wasn't D.C. It was Detroit. A friend of mine, her and her husband had lived in San Antonio and they hated it there. So she went, can you make San Antonio one? Sure. So I throw a piece of paper on a map from Detroit to San Antonio and Louisville is on that line. So it's the third city. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few, uh, a couple of years later, I actually did Iron Man Louisville and I really was glad no one had ever read my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I can understand that because uh, there was a time in which uh, I and actually no, it's still standing. If you bomb Nod Modesto, Atwater, <laughs> or Sutter Creek in California, I will buy you a drink. Um, That's all it takes. We can talk. I did horrible things to Salton Sea in another soon to be coming out story based on one of the characters in Sandblaster. So. Um, yeah, one of the characters in Sandblaster is Crystal Cruz. She's in the ranger department. She's not a ranger, which means she's a spy or an assassin. She was in California, in San Luis Obispo, and she's a spy, <laughs> go figure, and ends up having to get across San Luis Obispo from Vandenberg Air Force Base to a state park to get the hell out. And basically, gunfights ensue all the way through. <laughs> Sounds fun. Just another day it, in Los Angeles. Uh, another, day before, in, another day in California. Let's roll. <laughs> before we dive in too deeply, because this is now starting to talk about the book, which is cool because mm -hmm. it's why we're here, we're going to take a moment while we mm -hmm. shamelessly show for the man and we're going to play that commercial. Mythic heroes throughout history tamed creatures of lore to fight alongside them. Video games took up the mantle, and for decades, Players adopted beasts for companions. Some had tigers. Others, lions. Dinosaurs. Some even had dragons. So when my consciousness was transferred into the most realistic virtual game ever created, I chomped at the bit, hoping to befriend a great beast to fight at my side. And what did I get? A porcupunk. Who needs a dragon anyway? Read a book. Ignora. Uh, 
definitely feel for that commercial. What? I said that would be my luck too. You know, want something yeah. cool and end up a porcupine. I. That I like absolutely got a and um, I will admit that uh, there's a phrase that kept coming to mind: lion, uh, lions, bears, and tiger, lions, tigers, lions, and tigers, and bears. And bears. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. That's an entire universe of rangers. <laughs> basically, D&D rangers. Oh. I mean, basically. Uh, so before we dig in, we're gonna take a moment where we uh, where we look at this glorious cover, which I wasn't able to find its higher resolution, um, yeah. and I Ooh. forgot to ask you for it. So I'm gonna share this cover. Jared's cool. been special uh, this week. Yeah, life has yeah, been. He's had a week. It's been a week, but uh, so this is the cover. Uh, we will try to um, link to his website where he's got a better version of it. Uh, for you yeah. to check out, dear listener. And if you're listening on the podcast and not watching, pretend I've got the best quality one up on the screen and I didn't mess <laughs> this up. But hey, so, you're doing fine, JR. Can you tell us the story of this cover art? Um, so I had written Easy Jobs, and we and my friend had you had worked with her friend Holly Day to do the original cover for Easy Jobs. And when I got moving target done, she read it and she really fixated on the whole hospital upgrade testing phase of that story. And she got Holly back to do the cover of that. So that's where that came from. That's actually later in the book when they're doing upgrades of Breeze and she's kind of becoming something else at this point because they're wiping out her memory to make sure she, to see that, see if she'll hesitate in a, fight or if there's a questionable situation so okay jenny did a nice job with it and the only thing I, the only objection i really would have with it because she did a great job with the cover is i would look at it and go that's medical thriller maybe it's a bait she has a yeah. slight ghost in the shell edge though to it yeah yeah so. there, there's there's elements that work and it's just kind of like Almost any scene but that one would have been great. <laughs> I think, honestly, if you just change the background a little bit, it would work better. Yeah, yeah, that's so, kind of what we're thinking. Because, I mean, her, she's got, like, as I said, the yeah. silhouette, her, the model, she's got almost that ghost in the that, shell when she's yeah. in the hospital kind of vibe. Yeah, and, and she does. And like that really does. I can tell. And I'm a huge fan of Ghost Holden. in the Shell, so... Apparently, but oh, constantly. <laughs> but yeah, Ghost in the Shell is one of my favorite series. So, Jr., are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm I'm trying mm-hmm. to be good and not make so, comments about. But your no, I, I mean that 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 co- Jr. He's talking. <laughs> uh, well, he can hear me, so it's it's Doc. She's fired. Okay. Uh, again. <laughs> so you were just so <laughs> quiet. I was worried about you. So can you tell us? What it is that makes what? Oh, Doc's hearing voices again. Saying something? No, (laughs) she forgot to reboot her internet right before the show. I know that's what's going on, Uh, (laughs) Doc. So ask your question. Family friendly show. Remember that, Doc. Family friendly show. I am. That's why I'm giving you three fingers. Um, I'm so shutting my mouth because it. Okay, Doc, continue. (laughs) So, what is it that makes? this series special and unique in cyberpunk instead of it endlessly being mega corporations or evil it's honestly the governments that are jacked up 
And I kind of worked really hard to make sure every character has some kind of flaw or loss so that they're different. There's a character named Mickey. He is, if anything, a little too patriotic. Oh, One of those. Yeah, there's not an upper limit to what he'll do for his country. Um, bad karma will always make the right tactical decision. That eventually becomes a, oh, moment. Burn is greedy. <laughs> She's greedy and has an adrenaline junkie streak, which is why she does what she does for a living. Um, yeah. So you get more, as more characters collect, you find more and more uh, characters who are, there, there's something about them that's a little bit flawed and it makes them a little more interesting and helps them develop. So, well, that- so how much autonomy do the characters have given the level of cybernetic and enhancements? Oh, yeah, they do what they want to do. <laughs> I right. am sometimes so just like writing up the accident report. Sometimes I'm just writing up the incident report. <laughs> I'm doing the line of duty investigation and trying to figure out what, how that even happened. Okay. Fair. So, yeah, I did um, end a sandblaster. There's a scene where bad karma just decides, well, the job is to get this, get this general we just kidnapped out of here. And you're not going to do that with those guys following us. So I'm going to go take care of those guys. All of them. By so given, <laughs> given the level of technology, uh, in the way the enhancements work, do they ever get to a point where they are so much machine over man that they become almost androids? I have a character who's right on the edge of that, and he's not out yet. He's in. He shows up in book four, and I just wrote him in another one. So, yeah, there's a character who's borderline cyborg. Okay. Oh and he's kind of an inhuman dude. <laughs> okay. I'm just, I find the whole cybernetics, like the, the angle of it all, like what it means to be, I guess technically you'd call it transhuman, but that transhumanism, but sometimes that gets a little too esoteric, but I find some of the, from the, from the soldier level, like I find it all fascinating. Yeah. Um, With bad karma, it's, she, she strikes most people who don't know her as a little odd and a little disconnected because she doesn't have a hell of a lot of actual memories. Um, so she's most of her social interactions are a little awkward with Wolf. He might have just been that way when he started, but <laughs> he might have so been that way Doc before he started. Is, uh... getting... hmm? No, do... well, yeah, so that's what Doc's excuse is. <laughs> Fair, I need no excuse. She is who All she right. is, and she's okay with it. <laughs> I am very much so. See, he has been paying attention. JR, you should learn to take notes and listen like he does. <laughs> oh, I listened, and I could have said that, too. I did remember that line, but it's more fun to make fun of you. Mm. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, And the banner works. Just saying. <laughs> I, at this point, it it must because otherwise we're just pissing into the void. I don't know. Anyways, back to our <laughs> regularly scheduled topics. We're actually uh, nice to each other off air because we, you know, it's not as much fun when we don't have an audience. <laughs> it's like well, children I, who misbehave just to get attention. I'm just trying to think of things to say so you two can have banter. <laughs> <laughs> We've had other guests do that. Fair That's enough. what the fireside chats are for. You'll have to come back for one of those. So, I want to. That would be fun. Which tropes do you feel that you really 
had fun with with moving target um over the top action characters who utter, a character who will utterly commit if that's what she feels is what got to happen um when bad karma decides she's going to go do something she's just going to go do something there and nobody going to talk her out of it um throwing in weird ideas like somebody i could get along with yeah <laughs> Yeah, right up until she's like, I'm um, sorry, they're holding, they're using you as a human shield and I'm getting paid to shoot them. Yeah, then I she's not so much your that, friend. Though. Yeah, that's not, then she's not so much your friend. Yeah, but I can't but, understand that. Yeah. It reminds me of that, uh, that I'll miss the old ad for the, or the lesson for the grenade that used to have. Mr. Grenade is not your friend. Not your friend. Once you pull the and, and yes, <laughs> bad karma basically has an HK UMP5 with an underbarrel grenade launcher on it. Because she thinks that's a lot of fun and a good idea. <laughs> I mean, as a former SEAL and law enforcement veteran, I talked to told him about that. He's like, but a grenade launcher kind of defeats the purpose of having a submachine gun. And I'm like, she doesn't seem to care. And he's like, fair. <laughs> grenade launchers are fun. They are. No, they make the they grenade go like far, far from you. <laughs> now, if you can get her like the blurp gun or the Mark 19. Whatever a future equivalent of that would be. Like, Dude, that's a thought so horrifying. <laughs> giving bad karma a Mark 19. They are fun to fire. I am you're I not mean, wrong. The the bloop as it goes no, out and then the just because he's not wrong doesn't later. mean he's right either, though. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking about a fictional person in a universe where we don't have to get blown up. And I'm kind of okay with that. And I don't have to fill the paperwork out if you accidentally burn down a town. I'm just saying. They are only you would accidentally burn down the town. No, no, it's usually that was stated by somebody who's had to fill that paperwork out. Because yes, I was the sergeant. My uh, oh, I thought it was PFC. because of his bad cooking. He burnt down the town. Oh, well, that's fair. a separate issue. Like that, that's justifiable <laughs> homicide. All right, but uh, I'm just saying sometimes uh, mud huts can be flammable. All right, who knows? There was mud. There was twigs. I didn't know the mud would burn. It will. So they <laughs> use the um, they use the the water that they um, runs through their bathroom to also form the bricks. So you get methane pockets in those mud bricks, and you oh. can do the science. And um, yeah, he loaded the wrong kind of grenade. So it's a little bit of a fire effect that was not intended. It did work though. So I mean, props <laughs> to him. <laughs> kind of hard to shoot at you from a building that's burning. So, <laughs> on the one hand, the problem was solved. On the other hand, uh on my okay. on my line of duty statement, I did tell the uh to the commanding officer that the, the sniper can't fire at me from a building if the building is no longer there. He's got a point. I can't <laughs> argue a that. Very solid point. I, However, I mean, I'm starting to wonder if CID may be listening in a little too closely to the things <laughs> Statue of limitations as well. I mean, that was 2005. I'm golden. You should be clear. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I, I checked with my CID friends. Uh-huh. Sure you did. Are you sure they were the friends you think they were? If For not, CID, I'll, I'll nobody has make friends a file with CID. into my cake, okay? <laughs> nobody has friends with CID or CIF. <laughs> no, no. CIF is where all hopes go to die. You know what? <laughs> I did perfectly fine on my CIF turn in. They found out who my NCO was and everything then made sense and they just let me go. 
So they had me turn in a hat they never even issued me. So I had to go out and buy the dang thing. Oh, no, no. Oh. Our supply NCO was so badly known through post as being so messed up that they literally went, oh, dear God, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. CIF never apologizes to anybody. No, well, I was also no, they very don't. pregnant. Well, that, that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Nobody makes pregnant women mad. Not if they're smart. No. For us, it was the Elmer Fudd flip-down hat that supposedly you get issued, but you never get issued. Yeah. And then you have to buy it. I didn't get the, the, issued it. The, the, the winter uh, field cap that has the flaps that unfold to cover your ears. I don't yeah, think I they were issuing those to us. Well, like I said, issue- I was in the Army before you – I was medically discharged before you even enlisted. The, the really fun part with those was they did issue them to us, but we never got to wear them. We had no idea why we had them. So I got issued them at boot camp, and then we never got to use them. And then they supposedly issued us again on the pre-deployment. So on the post-deployment, they're like, turn in your desert cami uh, cold weather cap. And I'm like, well, first off, that's an oxymoron. But yeah. we never got <laughs> issued one. And their answer was, well, you signed for it, idiot. Pay for it. <laughs> Son of a, this is like a criminal mafia racket going on. I want no, it. No. The mafia has more human beings involved. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they have more ethics. But uh, possibly, anyway. yes. <laughs> possibly. All right. Doc, so, get us back on track. Which subgenres do you feel moving target fits into? Military sci-fi and cyberpunk, and every story seems to be something a little different. Like moving target is kind of a spy thriller kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandblaster is straight up military science fiction with no bones about it, which is weird because it's actually two heist stories. <laughs> nice. We're stealing a general and we're stealing an, ar- an armor command that the general kidnapped, captured. <laughs> two different hey, groups. If it works, it works. And I got to nickname a pilot Mudfoot in Sandblaster because he flew that low one time. <laughs> Took him forever to get the dirt out of his aircraft. <laughs> uh, I could imagine. Yeah. So and we're, um, easy jobs is just a straight action story where they go from location to location. They get into a fight, a gunfight in Culver in a Culver's. They get in a gunfight in a gas station and they blow up. Mo- they shoot up a whole warehouse in Pittsburgh. <laughs> that was just a lot of fun. You do know playing with guns and bullets and explosives and things that go boom around gas fumes is probably not the best idea, right? The, gr- the, the other side threw a grenade under their ride. <laughs> they were not happy about this. So they had it coming. I got it. Yeah, at that point, things just kind of devolved. <laughs> also, the guy they were trying to get to Pittsburgh is like, stay in the ride. We'll deal with everything else later. Stay in this. We're getting gas. We're getting out of here. He immediately gets out and somebody's like, one of these guys is like, oh, you're the guy they're actually paying a lot of money to get hold of. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So. (laughs) So I actually wrote it up and it makes sense. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with that one. Gray Man was just, how will this guy get away from these cops? And immediately he walks right into the person he's real sure they're looking for. Okay, come with me. <laughs> I can leave you behind or I can take you with me. And he might be, you know, not noticed a whole lot, but he's got some morals and ethics. Those can get in the way sometimes. I'm just saying. 
he's also pretty good. He's also pretty good on a store gun with a gun based on a, based on another couple of stories later that he's in that I haven't published yet. So, okay, I had to write. I was right driving to work, and what was it? I was listening to I think it was self publishing formula, and they had a guy talking about Amish cyberpunk will be the next big thing, and then I see the sign for Pella, and I live where the Amish do now. So we have a mana colonies in Cologne, Iowa, and all that is very heavily Amish. It is like, I can write that story. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about the main character in this novel? Is it Bad Karma? Bad Karma and Burn are the main duo. And most okay. of it is kind of Bad Karma is the main character. It varies from story to story a little bit, but. Um, Bad Karma starts as Bree. She's basically, she was a gang, she was in a gang that kind of turned into a mercenary unit during the Civil War doing whatever jobs came their way from various groups. And then they took one job they shouldn't have. However, she had been getting observed and raided off the charts from combat skills because, well, the guy running the gang is not an idiot. He actually trains his people. And she does really, really well. And they're like, she's a perfect test, uh, perfect case for a test test case. So they tried that. And then, well, at some point, she really was the perfect case and decided she didn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. And then she ends up in Atlanta. Short, some more time after that, she ends up in Atlanta. <laughs> and that's where she meets Byrne. And her and Byrne, after that, are kind of a pair that do what they do. Okay. So, and Bad so what about is kind of becoming more human over time while as Byrne is learning that making a lot of money is not the only thing in life. <laughs> Let me know when I get there. Uh, I'll tell you when I get there if I think that. But so I, I'm just saying they tell me <laughs> money is the root of all evil. I'm willing to be a test case to find out. Me too. Me too. Give me a large so, amount of money and I'm good. <laughs> um, I'm not saying I'm going to tell everybody if I make a lot of money, but there will be signs. I'm just saying. <laughs> so the first day at work where you go that's not my job man <laughs> <laughs> or or for, for doc it'll be when she doesn't censor her mouth and she starts telling her boss what she really thinks of people uh i know i've heard you talk you wait i like wasn't supposed boss. to do that oops I, I don't think doc ever stopped doing that <laughs> well i i just assumed that you had more cooth than that because your mom's a classy lady <laughs> no, my mom's a classy lady, and yet somehow she had me. Huh. I'm a throwback. Weird. Weird. Probably, but it's cool. We like you anyway. So what about secondary characters? You've talked a little bit about Burn and um, Karma, but what about yeah. any secondary characters? Do you, were there any in there that were your favorite or especially memorable to you? Mickey's a recurring character, kind of, because he just starts... He was fighting in the Rangers, got out, and he, go, he honestly goes to work for... In the South, it's the Federal or National Investigation and Intelligence Service. He's been undercover. He's been basically undercover running with the running with Mercs since he got out of the Rangers. No one realizes this surf bum looking dude is a cop or an intelligence agent. I don't know which or both. <laughs> as long um, as he knows, that's the important part. I don't think he honestly remembers, except that his loyalty is to the country. He just dragged somebody in the back into a back alley and shoot him in the head if he thought that was a good idea. Uh, oh. It's one of those. You're an enemy of our country. I'm going to solve that. 
He's a little too patriotic. He would throw a lot of people under the bus. On the other hand, he does solve a lot. I'm just saying. (laughs) There will be a fun scene where it's one of those bad karma gives him a job. Take care of Burn in a future story. And eventually she catches up to him because bad karma got kidnapped. (laughs) And she looks at him and goes, I will deal with you later, which is probably the most terrifying thing anyone's ever said to him. So it sounds like he could be a side character that gets his own series at some point in time. At some point, he's going to spin off into some of his other stuff he does that's not necessarily connected to Burn and Bad Karma. Um, There's Crystal Cruz. She's Crystal Cruz, who's in Sandblaster. She's a spy. They sent her out in Sandblaster because they got to hide her from everybody looking for her at that point. Um, So they send her to, you know, West Texas. (laughs) Where are the war still going on with the Holy Mexican Empire? Don't ask. <laughs> I don't think I need to. As it, long it, as they still make tacos, I'm good. No, I mean, they that sounds do. really neat. I could totally see where uh, Mexico would go that kind of route. Imagine you have to reform your country because the U.S. is in a civil war and the car- cartels can't actually sell drugs to Americans. That would be an interesting problem to have. Yeah, you end up reforming a whole government and the church gets involved. And at that point, you have a holy Mexican empire and they start expanding because that's a really great use of your people's time. Yeah, uh, you know, as you do. So, you know what? I lived, I was stationed at Fort Bliss long enough that that makes sense. I I actually set Sandblaster around Dias Air Force Base, Abilene, because my brother in law was assigned out there and I at least had seen the place. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Does, does your story have any bad guys in it for the uh, for the characters to confront that you can tell us about without giving us any spoilers? Moving target. There's a character working for the agency that hired Breeze's group named Carl Gibbons. Um, he will reoccur in a future story, and Bad Karma will catch up to him. <laughs> she is not going to be in a good mood when that happens. <laughs> Actually, okay. she's she's in the same mood she's always in. Annoyed. Oh, <laughs> I know. A really the ne- there's a really neat scene in book four where this guy goes, "You don't want to leave a stack of bodies just to get to this guy, do you?" She made it into the garage, <laughs> and it just starts. I know this feeling. Yeah. So you don't really want to do that. Yeah, I actually do. <laughs> I'm really speaking okay. about all these horrific things the characters are doing. If your characters met you in a back alley and they knew who you were and the things you put them through, how do you see that reaction playing out? I would be really glad if they weren't getting paid. Because <laughs> I don't have the move by the reflex boosters and the titanium bone lacing and all the rest of it to survive what would happen if they figured it out. Um, some of the characters would be okay with it. I think Mickey would be like, hey, can I do more? <laughs> Uh, okay. Burn bad karma. Burn's like, I need more money. <laughs> you better have some. And bad karma, like, listen, I've killed a lot of people because you're a, you're a jerk. Um, well, that's fair. Okay, but it made great stories. I mean, you know, like, what else would she do? Exactly. So, do you have a favorite archetype within this? Um. I like the soldier or the mercenary kind of characters. I don't mind. I like, I love writing rogue types too. The gray man is honestly, ultimately more of a rogue than anything else. 
um, he's a lot of fun to write too because it's just so he's so different because his first move isn't to just shoot something. So that is odd. Most veterans have a sort of ick feeling in their mouth or their stomach or whatever when they think about mercenaries. And, and so the idea that it's your favorite to write, what is it about the mercenary that appeals to you? Um, they're freelance. They can pick and choose their fights It's or what they're getting involved with. They aren't getting randomly sent somewhere under questionable circumstances by elected officials who may or may not have anybody's best interest in mind. Fair. And it's, and it's just kind of fun. And if you're going to write cyberpunk stuff, yeah, mercenaries make sense. In cyber in the cyberpunk genre in general, everybody's kind of a mercenary. Okay. All right, Doc. It's on you next. Don't mess up. I don't mess up. You mess up. You didn't ask the question wrong. I wrote it on the on the script wrong. Is that what you're saying? I mean, since you already knew the answer. I mean, you've, you've mocked me enough times. I, I get where you're going. I'm picking so, up what you're laying down. In these kind of novels, the universe is as much a character as anything, as any named character. So can you give us a hint of what to expect from the universe in the way of technology? Like how far advanced are we talking? Warp drives, anti-gravity, people haven't left the planet yet. I, I so totally want to send Burnham bad karma to an orbital environment <laughs> just because watching them try to do whatever it is they've got to do there under the constraints of try not to shoot through the sides of the built the, the environment because that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's... I, I, <laughs> am I, I feel wrong like that would be this? a really amazing short story. That would be a lot of fun, I think. And I might, I'm going to have to figure that out because as of right now, nobody really has orbitals. Most of the countries are so trash because the cycle that started with the U.S. going into a civil war and then nine cities being nuked and the outcomes and responses of that, pretty much everybody on Earth is jacked up except maybe Australia. <laughs> and I'm not sure about them. Well, I've actually talked to some flat earthers. Australia isn't real. They're actually all crisis actors living on an aircraft carrier. I'm just putting that out there. So that's what all my friends in Australia are telling they're, they're just actors on an aircraft carrier? Man. And if they're not getting paid, they're being cheated, they need to talk to the administration. Just I will talk. I will let them know. They need to, they, they're, they're doing a great job. I mean, come on. <laughs> I wonder how many people are going to email me now, Doc's like, wait, you're a flat earther. <laughs> you know. so, jr i'm so glad you went there and i didn't <laughs> i JR saw that take the bullet of stupidity for any person well i just as long as there's a joke involved i'm down right like, but i saw that on it. i had a discussion on reddit i don't go there anymore that's a horrible place don't do it to yourself people <laughs> and someone was trying to tell me that the earth was flat i'm like dude we've got pictures from suborbit. like there's all this proof that's like we're not just trusting the government private companies have now done it he's like you know and he's like doesn't australia existing sort of disprove your flatter and like no australia is not real like, oh, oh oh okay. okay did your head how badly did the headache that immediately had to happen how bad i mean i just that? drank instead i don't recommend that dear listener sobriety is not bad but that day um, it was just not an option <laughs> seska and i seska and i disagree but yeah you're right after that statement 
it had been hitting it had been hitting the cabinet. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was definitely. And I, I just don't go to Reddit, people. It's bad. It's just bad. Reddit is not <laughs> a place I need to go. Noted. Funny. Yeah. So, JR, you gonna... so so no, he 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 was gonna tell us about the uh, the tech. No, uh, the tech. Um, probably better implant technology, better medical technology. Um, because like, let's face it, burning bad karma get implanted because that makes them better at what they do. But a lot of that tech is more for, is more designed for fixing. You know, you have bad eyesight. We can replace your whole eye and give you perfect vision for life. You never have to wear glasses, and you have all these other things. You'll never have to buy another iPhone again. We'll just implant the damn phone. Again, and I and I have a book where a character where bad karma, in fact, actually shuts her phone off internally because, well, okay, she's in bad guy country and really would like people to not be able to track her. That's why she does it. But yeah, you can shut it off. Um, vehicle technic technology. I was working on this a recent novel, and I really organizations are going to move to electric vehicles. Even with everything going on, just because there's an efficiency factor there for them. And, well, hell, we're building the infrastructure for it now. Um, I have a story where it was spawned by a meeting I was in where somebody said, was very excited because they actually talked to a human at PayPal. So I wrote a story about the only human working at PayPal, what's effectively PayPal. Turns out Elon Musk is an AI in my world. <laughs> Oh, I mean, oh. I, I, I'm not saying I'm wrong original, there. Was he programmed by the original Elon Musk? Is that what it is? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. People who know who he is refer to him as the old man at that point, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> and okay. in California, he has joined the side of the California Free State Partisans. <laughs> Were you a fan of the game Fallout? Is that what this is? I'm actually, I've never actually played it. Oh. <laughs> I've got a friend of mine who's really into it right now, but the same one who did my book covers, actually. She's really into it right now, but I've never actually played Fallout. But it yeah, is California. Like, yeah. As I say, it's like crack. So if, if you if you don't want to like be sucked in for ages on ages, I would yeah. not suggest picking it up at this point. But I, I got enough time consuming activities. I don't need fair something to eat up it's like there's some point at which i need to put finish up with all the stories i'm working on and just take like a week and play civ 6 or something yeah so moving target is clearly part of a series we know because it says yeah. so on amazon you've told us it was there are currently three books out in this series but is their story done where do you think the the universe is going to go what's next for the characters no um no the story is definitely not done because i have Two of the next three novels are one's almost done and one is actually finished in rough draft. Book four is Bad Karma finds out because part of it is once she gets to Atlanta, she has no idea what happened before her memory completely was completely wiped. Um, oh and eventually she'll get a indicator and she goes back to Chicago to find out what really happened. The problem being the northern states are kind of a totalitarian uber-controlled 1984 nightmare. 
So she's going to end up walking right into the same group of people who did this mess to her and going, I want my information. <laughs> and she's just psycho enough to actually pull this off. <laughs> so she'll get to meet Carl Gibbons again. And this is also the book where Wolf gets introduced because he kidnaps Byrne. Um, the guy makes some interesting life cho job choices. <laughs> he definitely sounds interesting. Um, he's a little bit nut. He's a little bit off. Um, but he, he shapes up as a natural bad guy. And there's a second book in the Chicago run, where, which is basically bad karma getting from Chicago back to catching back up with Byrne and getting her clear to these people, the people who kidnapped her, which ties back into moving target. <laughs> a lot of recurring characters there. Some of them will survive. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And then who was it? Somebody was doing an anthology of stories around Malta, the Island in the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And I started to write what should have been a short story, and it turned into yet another Burning Bad Karma novel. <laughs> and a stolen yacht, a very expensive, large stolen yacht that might actually be a small cruise ship. <laughs> Burning Bad Karma get paid to get that back. The Chechens who stole the yacht in the first place are trying to take stolen Russian tech, which has pissed off the Russians. And Wolf's involved, and Burn and Bad Karma are involved, and the Gray Man and a crew of his crew of people are involved. So I get to get them all together. So yeah, there's a lot more stories that are going to happen. And okay. if you know that, if you're familiar with that meme where they show the Spec Ops guy Halo jumping in, and it's like this little girl prayed for someone to come and save her in a foreign country, and prayed for an angel to come and save her, and then it's ETA two minutes. Yeah, I have a scene for a future story where that's burning bad karma or the angels coming in. And I'm not sure who got upset about that prayer. But if you're sending burning bad karma, bad things are going to happen to the bad guys. Yeah. Sounds like you like your characters a lot. That's always a good thing. They are fun. And like I said, about half the time, I'm just writing up the incident report and trying to figure out how that happened. He's Doc, he's not quite to David Weber loving Honor Harrington bad, but he's getting there. No, <laughs> no, no, David. And honestly, I don't think David can kill Honor because his fan base would kill him. <laughs> I think Probably. David would cry. Honestly, I think David is Honor's biggest fan. He might be. He might. I, I don't say that as an insult, by the way. I was. I know. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, if you don't, it's like as weirded as is as it is. Carl Gibbons, I don't actually like. He's straight up <laughs> sociopath. He has all the markings of a normal guy who works for an intelligence agency and has, you know, wife, kids, grandkids, all that. Dude's a sociopath. He will do some horrific stuff because he can. Um, okay. But, all right, yeah. but Wolf, I actually, he's kind of fun because he's me. He's kind of a me with no social control. He's like, there's no reason for him to be a nice guy. Okay. <laughs> so of all the tech in your universe that you have, which one would you use for daily use? Move by wire, implant phone, and cyber eyes. And, and the gun, how and the gun link. <laughs> how would you abuse it? Do you think I'd be working for doing IT for a living if I had that kind of stuff? Fair enough. 
So you'd go ultra capital. Got it. Yeah. And it's like, um, you need, a you have a military ish problem to solve. Yeah. I can, I can handle that. Yeah. I'm, I'm your guy. <laughs> so <laughs> are there talk. any aliens in your universe? Not in this one. I am eventually going to write an aliens invade earth story that has all the wrong people doing the response to it. Will that be cyberpunk? You think? No, <laughs> that one won't be. That one, that's a whole separate series. I kind of started that one and it was just imagine you end up with Nancy Pelosi as president because everybody's been wiped, everyone else has been wiped out, and a militia has to get her to what's left of the government. Watching that experience will be fun. That would be uh in, an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. I also have the ugliest uh, El Camino on Earth in that story. And it turns out we lived in Columbus, Georgia, and that El Camino actually did exist. And it was about a mile from my house. Oh, my. I had no idea until I was driving by one day and went, what? <laughs> we need to get him hooked up with the guy that did the uh, zombie road stories because he actually built the car from his books. Yeah. <laughs> like I could see. That would be and it was a tax write-off for him, which is even cooler. Again, oh, we need dude. to make more friends with accountants to get these ideas. I need an accountant. I need a really good accountant. But, uh, all right. So, clearly this interview is winding down. We're an hour and a half into the show. But before we wrap this up, was there anything about Moving Target that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we move on? It's a heck of a lot of fun. And people who read it seem to like the rest of the series, too. And I'm hoping to push out, get out some more, bo some more books in the series in the near future. All right, so two questions for the fans. These are the important ones we get asked to ask a lot. Probably ought to put this in the template. But one, is it an audiobook? They are not. Easy Jobs is an audiobook. I haven't gotten anything else into audio yet. I am okay. going to work on that when I have the capital to do so. Fair, fair. And with the shenanigans going on in the business side, I get that. Second, mm -hmm. what would you rate this as far as like accessibility to kids? Because we got some people that read with their kids and so it's always a question of how family friendly would it be? Obviously, you mentioned language. Yeah, language is a thing. Um, depending on your point of view about LGBTQ relationships, that may be a thing for some people. Um, no, There's no on-screen sex. So if you're okay with the violence level and it's kind of an ultra-violence thing, it should be reasonably okay for older teens. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So before we let you go, we have to remind you, dear listener, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your thing, people. It's your part of this equation. The writers write the books, the readers read the books, and then the readers review the books. It's the circle of life. So, and again, Barnes and Noble, BookBub, wherever you buy the book, you can review it. If you don't want to do it there, go over to Goodreads. BookBub has a site you can review it. If you don't want to do that, start a website and review it there. And the good thing about that is you might even get free books because people will want you to review them. But anyway, all right, you've heard that spiel before, people. So, Keith, before we let you go, Keith Hedger, how can they find you on the interwebs? You can find me at KeithHedger.com or you can even email me at Keith at KeithHedger.com. I know, so creative. I'm also on Facebook as Keith Hedger and Instagram as Keith Hedger author. And yeah, I'm not giving you all my phone number. <laughs> no, I wouldn't no, do that. No, that would end badly. So you're saying um, we're not as good of friends as we thought we were? Well, you got my phone number. Um, <laughs> the general yeah, internet, but I'm not that 
Okay, I don't live in Georgia anymore, and I'm still getting text messages about Georgia election cycle stuff. And it's like, will you all go away? I'm going to own They're kind of pushy. Yeah. Well, I found a solution to that on Facebook. If you mark everything as sexually offensive that's political, or every political ad is sexually offensive, they stop showing them to you. Um, oh, that would be noted. So, modern uh, problems. I, mean, I need do modern love solutions. texting. Every time when they're like this person and they bring up religion and going, I'm a pagan. Hi, Odin doesn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> the ultimate, <laughs> that's what she said, comment. I'm just saying. Absolutely. Ooh. All right. Ooh. And you can find us, dear listener, because Doc is going to fall asleep on us. We don't wrap this up. It's 11 <laughs> o'clock our time. And she's got to be up at like five or something. Wicked crazy. That's for you assholes right there. Wicked crazy. Uh, you yeah. can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen. And sometimes you can even talk to the guests when we post the episode at facebook.com backslash groups backslash a blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash a blasters and blades podcast. You can join us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on and uh, cover the overhead costs or at least defray it a little bit. You can also support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley, uh, where if you put it in the comment section that is for the podcast, I promise I will keep my co-host Doc Seska and Nick Garber. Um, well, we said we don't do booze as much anymore because we don't want you to think we've got a problem and need to go to meetings. We did coffee. I will keep them. I don't know, with something. We'll, we'll entertain them somehow, all right? Books. We'll feed Doc's book addiction. There we go. Hey, if Cedar Ridge wants to sponsor me, I'm okay with that. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, we've actually reached out to some booze companies, but they, they just called me an alcoholic and they did return my email. <laughs> I don't know if that's about. I'm like, look, all right, we talk about your booze, we drink your booze. It's a win-win. Uh, I'm, I'm in Iowa. It's a whole state that's on a two-drink minimum, so... <laughs> <laughs> all right doc bring it home before you fall asleep so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the absentee nick garber the adult brain jr handley i'm suska this was the blasters and blades podcast we'll be back next week same time same place indulging our love of nerd culture cheesy jokes picking on jr because that is the way nature 